0: Hello, everyone who is joining us for this week's version of the ICEJ weekly webinar. We are talking about the very hot topic of Israel's incoming government, and we thank everyone for joining us from all over the world. We're talking about uh, um, Israel being in the midst of Uh, trying to form and approve a new government. Uh, If an election here is a crazy time, this is the real time when the politics are going on as they try to form a coalition government. But you got to get all the different parties who are elected to the Knesset and who want to get behind uh, uh, this time Benjamin Netanyahu. uh, They've got to come up with agreements of how they're going to govern together. Sometimes it takes weeks and weeks and months And this time, uh, Netanyahu has asked for an extension, but President Herzog gave him, uh, instead of a two-week extension, only 10 days. uh, And so that time is quickly uh, coming to an end. uh, And there's a flurry of legislation now that uh, these parties are trying to pass before they uh, approve um, a new cabinet, a new government under Benjamin Netanyahu, who was prime minister, and to help us understand what all is going on, the intricacies of uh, Israeli politics in this sort of coalition wrangling, what this new government is going to look like, what are uh, the, the pros and cons, the, some of the concerns about it. We have Mr. Josh Reinstein, who is the director of the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus, He's been in that position, I think, now for 17 years, also the director of the uh, this global uh, Israel Allies Forum, which is a network of sister caucuses, pro-Israel caucuses, Christians, others who are pro-Israel in different parliaments around the world. I think you have caucuses now in around 50-some parliaments. Uh, congratulations. I think it's rated 60 now. And Josh, it's great to have you.
1: Well, it's great to be with you, David. Thank you.
0: Yes. Now, Josh, in running the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus, this is a a forum set up between the different members of Knesset, the different parties, where they put in a little budget to help uh, uh, have a, a place where Christians uh, here in Israel and from around the world, um, uh, this is primarily supportive as supporters of Israel, but others as well, to have an official address for them to engage with Israeli leaders in Israel's parliament. And to carry out this job, Josh has to have good relations with all these different parties. So he's gonna be giving us good insights into each one, but uh, we have to understand that he has to remain a little apolitical in this, but we're just trusting him for good insights for all the Christians around the world joining us who want to understand uh, the, this process and what kind of government Israel is getting right now. So Josh, you are ready for that task? Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, there's three parts of the this government that's coming in. Can you explain a little uh, the Likud the ultra-religious parties, and the religious Zionist parties. Can you explain that and give us a little overview of what's going on right now uh, for Netanyahu to try and form this government by the deadline? I think it's next Wednesday, the 21st.
1: Yeah, so uh, our uh, incoming Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, has until December 21st to form a coalition government, uh, which means that he has to bring over 60 people, so 61 and above, to form a majority. Uh, And then once he does that, the government is in in place and then also the opposition is in place. Uh, The three different parties, uh, and there's actually four, there's the ultra-Orthodox Ashkenazi, which is uh, Jews from European descent, the UJT. There's the ultra-Orthodox Sephardi, which is uh, Jews from um, Spanish or Arab descent, uh, which is called Shas. And then there's the National Religious Party, which are Jews who, because of their faith, are are Zionists. They're called the the Religious Zionist Party, actually. Mm -hmm. And they're religious, and because of that, they're Zionists. So it's kind of like saying uh, Christian Zionists, because (laughs) uh, they're Christian, and that's why they're Zionists. And so there's that party. And then there's the Likud Party, which is a center-right party led by Benjamin Netanyahu. So it's actually a a good match in, in how they've come together. And these parties
0: actually sat in current governments in the past as well. And uh, I, they, I think a lot of Christians don't understand the ultra-Orthodox. Uh, a lot of these folks, they, they don't necessarily accept the rebirth of Israel. They're not Zionists. They don't think that Israel is like some step in redemption. They're waiting for Messiah to come to really form the, the nation and all. But as long as the state of Israel is here, they'll play their part in it. They'll get what they can out of it, whereas these religious Zionists, they have a more proactive uh, approach where they say, we need to do certain things, settle the whole land, do other things to bring Messiah. That is an interesting distinction. Uh, well, I, I
1: I don't think that you could say that the ultra-Orthodox parties are not Zionist. I mean, Ariadari yes. and Shas and a lot of their members are are clear they're Zionists. Hawks.
0: They're, they're hawks. They're, uh, they're hawks
1: on, on Israel. They're conservative. Also in the UJT, you have members like that as well, but they have different theology when it comes to Israel. Yes. So in the national religious, they have more of the covenant theology uh, that, you know, the prophecies of the Bible, the ingatherings of the exiles from the north and south and east and west are coming. Uh, the the deserts will bloom, and then there will be the creation of the state of Israel, which will be a light onto the nation. So it's more of a biblical, uh, clear biblical interpretation. That's religious Zionists. The ultra-Orthodox believe that there are other steps that need to have taken, not just the creation of the state of Israel, in order for the redemption of Israel. So mm-hmm. it's a theological difference, but I wouldn't categorize them as anti-Zionist. A lot of people confuse these parties with like the real anti-Zionist, ultra-Orthodox, like the Tori Karta, that yes. believes there shouldn't even be in Israel, which is a very small uh, minority within the uh, or ultra-Orthodox community. But I would say that the majority of the ultra-Orthodox are also Zionists. Uh, But it's different from the, uh, obviously, the religious Zionists, which are in
0: in a different way. Okay, that's I think it's very helpful for everyone to understand. In the Likud, uh, there are traditional conservative uh, observant Jews, uh, keep aware, within Likud. But there's also a lot of secular hawks. They're like a big tent for uh, um, conservative Israelis uh, under the Likud. They're not uh, necessarily... Uh, a religious party, but they do have a lot of uh, observant Jews in it.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. In a lot of different societies, right and left is determined by social value issues, economic issues, things of that respect. In Israel, right and left is determined by the state of Israel and defense issues. So Mm -hmm. the land of Israel, the Judea Samaria, Jerusalem, this is what determines if you're right and left. So in Likud, You'll have people from all different walks of life and all different backgrounds, but what unites them is that they're they're for the land of Israel and the defense of the land of Israel in a very strong way. Uh, so you're right; there are religious, there are secular, there are even atheists in, in the Likud, but uh, mm-hmm. they, they're all come together because they believe that, you know, we need peace through strength uh, and the greater land of Israel.
0: Okay. Now, during this stage, after you have an election, they go to. Uh, all the party uh, heads have to go to the president. They recommend who they think would be the best prime minister. Uh, 64 MKs from Likud, Shas, UTJ, Religious Zionism, they've all proposed BB. So he gets the first mandate from President Herzog to go and try and form a government. And normally, you know, you're handing out portfolios, defense ministry, foreign ministry, all these cabinet positions and making a few agreements, coalition agreements, that once the government's sworn in, then you start passing bills in order to uh, um, fulfill your agreements in the in the coalition deals. But here, some of these parties are, are they, it seems they're in a strong position where they're saying to Netanyahu, before we even approve a cabinet, approve a government, we want certain bills passed, and so we're in, it's happened before, but never so many bills that the, this new coalition is trying to rush through. The new Knesset has been sworn in. They can take votes, they can pass bills, but they want certain things passed uh, before they even approve the new cabinet. Is this unusual, this much legislative activity pre-coalition uh, approval?
1: I would say it's somewhat uh, unusual, but it's not rare. Uh, What Mm -hmm. happens is is that the parties go into a coalition negotiation, and then they agree on certain things. And then if the things they agree on are not according to the law as it is today, they need to alter the law to make it so they can implement their coalition agreement. Mm -hmm. So what's happening now is that there are several things. Number one, that uh, Bessel Smutrich, the head of the the Religious Zionist Party, Uh, is wants the authority over Judea and Samaria that's actually under the defense ministry. So before that can happen, there needs to be a law that says that other people other than the defense minister can have authority in Judea and Samaria. Or um, Ismar Benvir is going to be the national security minister. But he wants expanded powers because he thinks in order to implement his position, he needs to be able to do um, a lot more things that aren't under the auspices of the internal minister. So in order to do that, you got to pass a law, too. So what they're doing is they're passing laws to be able to implement their agreements in the coalition uh, negotiation.
0: But, but, but a lot of that would normally be passed even after you approve the government. Uh, and, but some of this is done being done beforehand.
1: What they decided is that this time around that they wanted to have a coalition agreement in place before they founded the government. And in order to do that, they have to pass the laws so that they actually their coalition agreement is legal. Uh, okay. So the, the differences here is that a lot of the negotiations sometimes go after they create a government, but everyone wants to make sure they're secure in their positions
0: before the government is even launched. Okay, so this is my first tough question to you. Does Is this a, a signal that some of these guys don't trust Netanyahu to, to, to carry out his side of the agreements once they're in power?
1: Well, I think they want to hit the ground running. And so they don't okay. want agreements after the government's uh, uh, founded. And so that's happened in the past that they made governments. And, you know, we're in, I think, the fifth election in five years yeah. or something like that. So what yeah. happens is, is that they don't make these agreements ahead of time. They form the government and then they all start fighting within a year. We're at elections again. Yes. This time around, they're like, we're not going to do that. We want to make sure everyone's clear. This is what we're going to do. We want it to be legal, what we want to do. We want to make sure that the laws are passed and make it happen. And then we're just going to get, we're going to get to work. And and then everyone Mm -hmm. knows what they have to do and how they do it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, some people like it the other way, but I think a lot of Israelis are worried that if they didn't make this agreement ahead of time, that it would just get into confusion and a lot of, you know, wasted time.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I think it's um, the other side of the coin of this same sort of, uh, you know, really Upfront question here, um, is this a sign that these parties have a lot of leverage over Netanyahu, that he has no choice to be prime minister? He has to agree to, to these demands that these all, all these laws be passed before they approve the cabinet.
1: No, I don't think they have as much leverage as the media is trying to say. I mean, they're joining Netanyahu's government. He has 32 seats out of the 64, so he has half the actual seats. So everyone, you know, they have their part to play and, and, and Netanyahu needs them to form the government. But it's Benjamin Netanyahu's final decision. And in fact, in a lot of the coalition agreements, it all, always states that the final decision will be with Prime Minister Netanyahu. Uh, I think there's a concern on the right that, in fact, even though it's a right wing government that's coming in, that a lot of these things won't be implemented because of Prime Minister Netanyahu because he's more moderate in this government. Uh, But I don't I I don't think that it's, you know, he's being held hostage by these uh, other uh, parties and he has to say yes to everything. I think they're really negotiating. Everyone's negotiating hard, that's for sure. But I think they found compromises on a lot of these issues.
0: Okay. Um, uh, I want to go through a couple of these laws. You mentioned a couple. There was talk of changes to the law of return but that's probably not happening. I know they had hearings this week in the Knesset and there was a lot of opposition to, I think it was the, the ultra-Orthodox parties uh, who were saying a lot of the Jews coming in aren't really Jewish and we need to change the law return to make sure that most of these new immigrants are Jewish, but it looks like that's not gonna pass here. So
1: really, the, that's an interesting issue because no one knows if that's actually a real issue. It's been in the media a lot. Of people talk about it. But every time they ask Prime Minister Netanyahu about it, he keeps saying there's no way we're changing the law of return. So they've had hearings about it. There's a lot of articles about it. But I think Prime Minister Netanyahu has been very, very firm on his stance that that's not happening under his government. So I think it's another attempt maybe in the media to try to show you know there's controversy going on here. I, I, don't, I don't see it happening, uh, and I don't think anyone's really serious about that. Uh, there are other things, and I'm sure you'll get into them later, that there are happening, but I don't think that's one of them.
0: Okay. Um, the, there was even, I thought it was a bit radical, this talk of shutting off uh, electric on Shabbat. There was one MK in the United Torah Judaism, but that's highly unlikely. But was that a serious proposal by someone?
1: So I think, it, what they weren't saying shutting off power on Shabbat. Um, what happens is we produce power on Shabbat. So there's mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people who work in power stations and we have a law that on Shabbat, you're not supposed to have um, public officials working, but because mm-hmm. it's electricity, we do. You know, we want to mm-hmm. create as much ret- uh, ret- electricity as possible. Plus it would really damage the economy if they didn't produce on Shabbat. It would cost billions mm-hmm. of shekels. Mm-hmm. Again, it's one of those ones that, you know, it may have come up in a conversation, but the incoming Prime Minister Netanyahu said that's that's off the table. It's not gonna happen. Yet if you read the news, there's a lot of talk about it. So it's it's mm-hmm. interesting to see, <laughs> you know, what what where's the spin and what's really happening. I don't think that there's any chance of that happening in any way. Yet you, there's a lot of media about it. So it's 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 a really mm-hmm. interesting situation where there's a disconnect from what's really going on in these negotiations and what's really happening in the media yeah. when they're trying to portray the
0: negotiations. Yeah, it, it, it makes headlines for sure. You know, some religious party here is saying cut off. And, all and, the and I also want to
1: say one more thing, David. I'm yeah. not involved in any of these negotiations, so I'm not in the room when this is happening. I read the news okay. like you and I talk to yeah. people in the Knesset and I hear their points of views. But yeah. from what I'm seeing, the, this is a complete non-story.
0: Is it? But it's uh. I mean, I guess the solution is make sure there are Shabbos goys working in the power plants on Shabbat. Uh, some. I mean, this been going on, on for
1: for since the state of Israel is bad, So yeah, I think they yeah. already have the solution already.
0: No, I remember one of the governments was going to fall, the Sharon government, because it was moving a big uh, generator down the coastal highway on on a Shabbat and. There Were a lot of people upset and going to leave his government over it? And uh, but that was you definitely want to but, respect
1: the Shabbat, but I, I don't cool. think that uh, stopping production of electricity is on the table. <laughs> yeah.
0: And and there's there's as much traffic on Saturdays on, on the coastal highway as any day, that's uh, but let's move on. Uh, it does look like one of the first bills to pass first reading, um, uh is I think uh, one of them they're trying to rush through is to cancel a law where four uh, Knesset members can break away and form a new party. And this was actually passed by the last government, a bill that allowed 4MKs to break away from the party, form a new party. And the key there is that you get some of the money the government money that goes through these parties for operations and whatever, and you can form a new one, that this was actually designed by the last government to try and get some Likud MKs to break away and join their uh, their government under Bennett Lapide. And it looks like Likud wants to eliminate this to keep their party solid and together.
1: So what they're doing actually is they're amending it so that you need a third of the party if you want to break away. Um, they're worried about a situation where everyone can just break into four member factions and demand their own things and demand their own ministries and their own abilities or yeah. go to the opposition or go to the coalition. So what they're saying is you need a third of the party. So in a party, for example, like um, Blue and White, that has 12 seats, it's still four MKs can break away from their party because they have four seats. But in Likud, who so has 32 seats, you need 11 MKs. Uh, yeah. And that makes it a lot less likely that something like that would happen in Likud under uh Prime Minister Netanyahu's leadership.
0: And canceling this case. MKs, you're just reverting back to the old uh, method, which was you had to have at least a third of your party to break away, to get the funding and stuff. That's the key part to it. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I know the key part to it is that there was a fear that if four people can break away and he only has 64 seats, that four of the couped MKs could break away, go to the opposition and bring down the government. And And he didn't want a situation where there'd be a power struggle within his own party. I think that's really where it comes from. Uh, Again, I'm just speculating. But Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, it's just kind of reversing what they did in the last government.
0: Okay, there's um, uh, also some pledges today. I don't think it's quite legislation yet, but Netanyahu has pledged that uh, under this new government, uh, they'll, they'll continue the Haredi exemption, the yeshiva, ultra-Orthodox Yeshiva students studying Torah full-time, that they are exempt from the IDF draft. And uh, I know there's been commissions, several commissions over the recent decade or two, to get a lot more of these ultra-Orthodox students into the army or into public service in some way, but Netanyahu is basically telling them we, uh, I think it's uh, a guarantee that there won't be any arrests of, of students studying Torah.
1: So look, the, this law has been going on for a very long time. As you know, in Israel, um, Haredi students that study Torah has an exemption from, his, from the army. Uh, the idea is, is that you know praying and studying Torah is also a defense of Israel. Uh, you know we, we believe in the power of prayer here in Israel, and we think that by praying to, to God, it helps. Now, on the flip side of that, there's a lot of religious Jews uh, who go to the army. I went to the army uh, myself. And a lot of people are like, well, if we're doing it, then why aren't they doing it? Plus, there's the biblical idea. And if you read the Bible, it says that that you have to go to the army. You know, when, when yeah. Israel goes to battle, everyone fights. So it's a very... There's one exemption.
0: Issue. There's one exemption. If you're married, you get one year off. That's right. Uh, and
1: so there, it's a very contentious issue. It's come up in our Supreme Court several times. Um, that I don't think this changes anything if this actually comes out to be true. This is just a report. I don't know what the final decision is on this because there already is a de facto exemption. Uh, but this will codify it. And I know that this is a very sensitive issue. So this is one of the issues that will divide a lot of Israelis, uh, depending on where you stand on this issue, uh, if it gets codified in law. Uh, but right now, it, it wouldn't change. You know, we wouldn't have less people joining the army uh, because of this, uh, at this point, because there's already is a de facto exemption. Plus, what's what's actually um, become very positive is that we see actually more Kareti and ultra-Orthodox joining the army. And there's mm-hmm. actually ultra-Orthodox and Kareti units of the army as well. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see how this will play out.
0: Mm-hmm. I know with all the uh, kosher laws, uh, some would be so strict, the army would have you know, hard time meeting all of that, so they don't necessarily want all the uh, ultra orthodox in in the army. But no, the
1: the kosher laws in the army are very strict, and I think are it they, would even be okay be... for the ultra orthodox. But there's a sense that if the ultra orthodox would join the army, since it's a very secular army, mm-hmm. that they would become less ultra orthodox, and I think that's one of the fears on the ultra orthodox that, side. That's like being side. around okay. people all the time who
0: aren't or, ultra orthodox. Worried about that too, it opens you up to the, the wider world, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, we're we want to talk next about this dairy law that there's uh, a proposal that would enable Shoss chairman R.A. Dairy to serve as a cabinet minister because right now the law says if you've been convicted, uh, within a certain time of a law a moral turpitude or whatever he got he just got convicted last in January uh, of tax offenses but he was given a suspended sentence and it's going to allow if your sentence is suspended then you can go ahead and serve as a cabinet minister even though you just got convicted of of a crime and that's to allow him to join the coalition and be a cabinet minister correct
1: so this law is actually a preemptive law. The, the truth is no one will know how it would play out if they didn't pass the law and they made him uh, minister of uh, interior in any event. Because what happened is he signed a plea deal that says that he has to drop out of the Knesset in the last Knesset, but he's allowed to run to, for the upcoming uh, Knesset. Okay.
0: The but in the sentence. plea
1: deal, it doesn't say anything about if he could become a minister because he had a sentence sentence mm-hmm. um, and the case is gone. So mm-hmm. the fear was that he'd become minister, and then it'd be a challenge in the court, and then he'd be left up to the Supreme Court to decide if he could stay minister or not. They want to preempt that and make it very clear that he can be a minister, and that's the law.
0: When the when the Supreme Court makes uh, looks at it to make a decision, they would have to abide by a Knesset law that was just passed, okay? Uh, theoretically, uh, but in our Supreme yeah.
1: Court, it uh, doesn't always play yeah. out that
0: way. <laughs> All right, and you mentioned the Smotric law, and this is... Um, uh, Betsalel Smotrich, first of all, tell us a little about him because he's a key player here, but he's sort of new, uh, as uh, I think maybe his first time as a cabinet minister. But he's been a member of the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus. He's been working with you, you said, for like 10, 12 years. He's been in MK that long.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's been the, the head of the party for a long time. He's been in politics for a while. Before that, I actually knew him as the head of an organization called Regevim, where he was in fighting for uh, his Jewish rights in the Negev. Uh, yes. He's a religious Zionist guy. He has been a cabinet minister before, which is why it's so shocking that people are saying, what's going to happen when he's cabinet minister? He was the transportation yeah. minister about yeah. a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. uh, and he was great. Um, what's interesting about this law is that, it gives him authority over Judea and Samaria. Now, that has always been under the defense ministry. So I think of all the laws, this is the one that's the most um, interesting or different from the status yes. quo. Because for the first time, you're going to have a minister who's not the defense minister make some of these decisions. Mm-hmm. Now, what's also interesting about this, and this is something that people on the right are worried about, Still, the prime minister, which would be in this government, Benjamin Netanyahu, would have a veto on a lot of these issues. So it doesn't mm-hmm. give him carte blanche to do whatever he wants, mm-hmm. uh, but it does give him a lot of authority in Judean Samaria. Uh, so it's a very interesting law. Now, now Bessel Smutrich is a religious, Zionist, uh, Jewish guy. He's been in, in the Fnestic Christian Allies Caucus for probably a decade now. Uh, very, very fond of bible believing Christians he believes that bible believing Christians are doing great things for Israel around the world, so he's a very pragmatic guy, but he's also very religious himself. so a lot of that comes into play as well
0: okay and uh, just to help help uh, everyone understand when when Israel uh captured or re returned to jewish uh rule the uh Judea Samaria the West Bank in nineteen sixty seven Israel never annexed that land. Uh, it was uh, put placed under IDF control, the Israel Defense Force, and they set up a civil administration to handle civil affairs there, housing approvals, roads, uh, and not just uh, you know the the military and the security is still the army, but there was a sort of a um, uh, an IDF civil administration to handle civil life and affairs. Uh, among the uh, Jews who were moving out there and living out there and building communities. And it's always been under the IDF and the defense minister. But Smotrich, is he, is he going to be finance minister or what's his main portfolio? So, he, so,
1: so basically, when we liberated Judea and Samaria from the Jordanians in 1967 and started building communities there, there was international upheaval about it. Uh, mm-hmm. And then later on, we signed the Oslo Accords, where it got divided into areas A, B, and C. B and C. C. C is the area where Jews are allowed to live and build, uh, but it's been very hampered because of international pressure. And what's been happening lately is that European money is coming into area C, and they're building illegally uh, for the Palestinians. So yes. The Palestinians, over the last year and a half, have taken um, 7,200 dunums of land and built on it illegally. So it's kind of like the Wild West, and there's no law and order. And because also it's been under Defense Ministry uh, guidelines, there's not a lot of infrastructure. So the cell uh, situation is bad. People don't have Wi-Fi sometimes in different areas. There, the roads are small. So what Bessel Smotrich is trying to do is he's trying to have a, a say under the Defense Ministry where what are we going to do about illegal, illegal building? How are we going to help with infrastructure? And how are we going to do more Jewish building? Now he's the Finance Minister, but he's also going to have a ministry within the defense ministry for Judea and Samaria. So okay. he'll be the minister within the defense ministry of Judea and Samaria on top of being finance minister, minister, which is a huge job already. So it's it's mm-hmm. very hard to see how to do both at the same time. But uh, that's really the idea of the, uh,
0: the, the deal. OK, I think initially it was talk of moving the civil administration from the idea of And the defense ministry over to finance, but now they're saying they're going to give him a a unique hat as a uh, junior defense minister specifically focused. He's a pro-settlement political leader, and this will give him a lot of say over building permits and and roads and everything that the settlements need to grow, so in a way, they, the the settlers are are going to be in charge here. The pro settlement movement, which is sort of new in in some ways.
1: Well, it really the the real question is how's it going to play out? Is mm-hmm. it going to be that scenario what everyone's talking about, where he has the decision and the power making ability, mm-hmm. and then the settler community uh, in Judean Samara will be able to build again and mm-hmm. to prosper? Or uh, is a lot of this going to be still under the, the discretion of the prime minister, who has final say on a lot of these things?
0: Because um, Europe so, and the U.S. are going to be upset and raise a big stink, and Bibi's got to sort it out. It'll be he'll be in the middle between uh, Schmeidtrich, Ben Gavir, and others, and uh the world powers. Right? Yeah, and
1: that and that's the big question: How is this really going to play out? Is it going to be really like a? Uh, an incredible time for development and pioneers Mm -hmm. of Israel to develop Judea and Samaria? Or is it going to be the same as usual, just, you know, with different people trying to do different bureaucratic things? So maybe the infrastructure will get better, maybe the uh, self-recession will get better, but there won't be that much change on the ground. I think that's why this bill is so important to Smutrich, because he believes that if this passes, he'll have a lot more say.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's basically been that way for for decades that the prime minister really has to make these decisions at the end of the day, and there is this constant pressure from from uh, many of the Western powers to to curb the settlements in order to preserve the two-state solution. And uh, but uh, Smotrich and and those behind him and his party are trying to. They're very pro-settlement. Some of them live in the. Uh, Jewish communities out in the territories, and they they want to have a more of say over these decisions, especially in the battle with the Supreme Court. I, I suppose we want to now go to um, an amendment to the police law involving uh, MK Itamar Ben gavir and this is really uh, um, you know someone that we need to talk about here. Uh, he's seeking broader control over the police. I think the, um, the sort of dynamic that they're trying to change is that the defense ministry, just like in the US or elsewhere, there's a civil uh, civilian person, elected uh, official who oversees defense policy, the defense minister. Whereas in the police, they have a certain independence from the minister of public security, because they even may want to investigate him for corruption or something. But what uh, Ben Gavir is seeking uh, more authority over police policy, security policy internally to create, uh, uh, he'd be renamed, it'd be renamed as the Ministry of National Security instead of Public Security. And it would move the border police, which is a cross between the police force, the domestic police force, and the IDF. They patrol Israel's borders and uh, that this would come under him, moved out of the IDF and the defense minister to him. Uh, is, is this going to happen?
1: Yeah, it's going to happen if there's going to be a government. That's part of the coalition agreement. But I think you described yeah. it beautifully. Really, it's a power, uh, power question. Who's in charge? Is yes. it the commissioner or the police? Is it the minister who gets to make the decisions? Mm-hmm. And what uh, Itamar Benvir is saying is he, he's saying that if I'm going to deliver for people who voted for me and bring law and order, I need to be in charge of these big decisions. But this is a break from what we've had until now. Until now it was the police commissioner and the professional and the bureaucratic layer that makes a lot of these decisions and the minister just signs off on them or sometimes they don't even consult with the minister. Uh, So uh, this is a very big change in our system, and it has to happen in order for this government to be formed, because that's the biggest demand of this minister, Itamar Ben.
0: Okay, and we need to talk about him, because he seems to be the most controversial figure. A lot of the uh, Israeli and foreign press have been focusing on him, and of course, you were there uh, hosting us in the Knesset yesterday. Knesset Christian Allies Caucus, you uh, as director hosting the Christian Media Summit. We had a hundred and some Christian journalists from all around the world. We thank you again for having us there, Josh, and arranging oh, that. And we had some members of the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus, the co-chair, uh, um, uh, help me with her name right now. Karen
1: Heskel
0: Karen Heskel she was at our feast, the one who cut her hair. I, I, I love her, she's great. And all, and they gave speeches, but uh, you also arranged for Itamar Ben gavir I think it might have been his first time addressing a Christian audience of of this nature. Uh, and he came with a certain record that there's a lot of of questions about it. Uh, and I, you know, had a chance to ask him a question about some of this that. He used to have a picture of Baruch Goldstein on his wall. This was the doctor in in the Hebron community who shot uh, 29 Muslims in the Cave of the Patriarchs back, I think, in 94, 95. Uh, He's been convicted of incitement. He's an attorney. He defended uh, a a Jewish man who uh, set fire to an historic church in the Galilee to certain Jews who were charged with terrorism and even murder uh, that you know, I said to him, I'm a lawyer too, and I understand we have to give everyone access to justice and all, but it does seem like all his clients sort of were part of his ideology because he used to be a Kahanist, meaning he wanted to possibly transfer Arabs from the land. And some of the other things from uh, his past that would give us pause, some of it anti-Christian, and you know, we asked him what could he uh, do to reassure us that he's going to, you know, help work for democratic rights, minority rights, especially religious freedoms in this new government. And he said uh, that uh, first of all, he was young when all uh, a lot of this happened. He didn't necessarily deny it, but he says he's grown up since then. He has a family now, children, and he, his priorities have changed. And uh, you know, might comfort level rose with him, but what else can you tell us about him uh, that will reassure us that, uh, you know, he's going to be protecting the rights of Christians and Arabs and others as if he's in charge of police and national security here?
1: So, look, he's really the wild card. Uh, the event yesterday was actually organized by the government press office. Uh, yes. It was their event. They asked me to bring members of the Trans-Christian Alliance Caucus and I actually didn't even know they invited It's uh, okay. It's really, Okay.
0: I don't really know
1: him. Uh that was the first time I got to hear him speak. But <laughs> I also uh, I appreciate your question. I was also comforted by his answer. I mean, he said, you know, when he was yes. 17, he was kind of a hooligan and that he grew mm-hmm. up, he has a family, he's a lawyer now, um and he's definitely moderated his uh his position, but you know, that's the wild card. We don't really know. Uh is, is he is it the old Itamar Benvir that's gonna be in charge or the new Itamar Benvir that's gonna be in charge? Um, I think that there's a lot of different issues at, at stake when, when you discuss that. Um, you know, The head of the party is Bessel Smutrich, and I know him and I know where he comes from. And I know all about him. So I can say, you know, he's a great guy and he's gonna do good things and, and he's been in the government before. Itamar Benvir, I don't know, he's a new guy. He's never been in a government before. Uh, but he has an incredible popularity among the youth in Israel. Yes. So what's interesting about the youth in Israel is that from 18 to 25, if only people 18 to 25 voted, he would be the prime minister, probably, according to the polls. Mm-hmm. So in other countries, mm-hmm. the youth are tending to the left. Like in America and Europe, mm-hmm. they become very woke and progressive. In Israel, the youth is becoming more conservative and, and more uh and more, uh, you know, uh, aggressive when it comes to military issues because of yes. this long going conflict with the Palestinians. Yes.
0: Uh
1: Really, this is one of those things where you have to just say time will tell. I'm not so concerned though, and I'll tell you why. Um, everyone says the sky's falling when people from the extreme other side joins the government. And I remember that in the last government, when the Muslim Brotherhood joined the government, everyone said it's going to be the end of Israel. You know, we had Brahm in the government. And they said, this is the end of Israel. And look, if you're on the right, you're not going to be happy with the last government. The left was very happy with it. I think the same situation is going to be here. I, there, there's nothing to really worry about so much because the prime minister is Benjamin Netanyahu. And I think that even if Itamar Benver gets to do what he wants, the right will be happy and then the left will be unhappy. So it really depends what your political persuasion is when you ask the question about Itamar Benvir. People mm-hmm. on the right really like him and people on the left hate him. It's the same with the Rom party in the last government, where people on the right hated them. The people on the left were like, wow, what a great time of Jews and Arabs working together in the government. Mm-hmm. So it really, it's a really personal question. I don't think you're going to see anything radical change or anything that's, you know, f- freedoms being stripped away or anything like that. Because he's, a, he's got seven, his party, which is in the national religious, has seven seats out of 15 and seven seats out of 64 in a government run by Benjamin Netanyahu. But he is the wild card. I mean, no one really knows. That's the truth. And I definitely don't know. Uh, as I mentioned, that was the first time I've actually heard him speak lot yesterday. But I was comforted by his answer. But who knows? It could be just a great answer, but not true, too. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, look, uh, I, uh, I know uh, our president, Dr. Jürgen Bueller, who you know well. And he has one son who's just been through basic, basic training in the IDF. And he's out there now serving. And Mm -hmm. in his company, he says all the young Israelis voted Ben-Gavir. And I was surprised my doctor, my personal doctor voted Ben-Gavir, my hairdresser. These are good, normal guys. And I was talking to this uh, Brigadier Brigadier General, Amir Avivi. We had uh, two hours with him this week, a good time to interact with him. And he said that that so many Israelis voted for Ben-Gavir because he was the only one out there in the campaign focusing on personal security, feeling safe in your homes, on the street, on the buses again, that a lot of Israelis are just tired of this conflict. They've had enough of it. And it's not battening down the hatches, but trying to really deter any more terrorism. Iran is funneling money in. There's hundreds of terror attacks, and most of them are thwarted. Some get through uh, here in Israel over the last year or so, uh, an uptick, and people are upset with it. It drives Israelis to the right, but he seemed to be the only figure in the campaign really focusing on that issue. And they voted for him. I I find it quite interesting. The
1: the last year in Israel, David, has been uh, one of the bloodiest since the last intifada. Uh, You have to remember, you know, there's there's incredible peace and safety in Israel. So people forget it. You know, we were just ranked the fifth safest country in the world uh, by the international insurance company for tourists, for example. Even though people say it's so dangerous in Israel, we're actually number five. America's number 30. Canada's number 20. And Israel's number five is the fifth safest country. But at the same time, there were attacks on soldiers. There were people uh, getting run over by terrorists, people getting stabbed by terrorists. Um, we have a lot of unrest in Arab communities. But what's interesting is that it's not just the Israeli youth that were voting for Ben-Gvir. There's also some Arabs who are voting for Ben-Gvir too, because the mm. big victims, the real victims of the violence on the street are actually the Arab communities. It's the, it's the Arab mafias controlling Arab towns that, until now, Jewish soldiers and police were hesitant to go into because they didn't want to cause a bigger conflict. Mm -hmm. So I I think there's a hope that he's going to bring law and order to the streets, uh, not just in in Jewish communities where it's relatively peaceful peaceful and quiet, but also in the Arab community as well.
0: And that's Mm -hmm. why when he answered
1: yesterday that he's here for all the citizens of Israel, the Jewish, the Muslim, the Christians, he's going to bring peace and security to everyone. And he's here for freedom and democracy. It was comforting. Now, there's also the other side of saying, no, this is all a bluff and he's going to do these major things and it's going to be terrible. But I think the jury's still out. I mean, I can't I can't uh, tell you which one to write just because he's so new to the political world.
0: Yeah, he has shown up at a couple of flashpoints in Jerusalem, like the tomb of Simon the Zadok recently. This isn't as a 17 year old. This is recently with a gun at his side, and there's been some dust-ups, and he pulls his gun out, waves it in the air, and so uh, he passed This is the
1: Jewish community in East Jerusalem, uh, the uh, Shimon Tzadik uh, neighborhood, yeah. where uh, people were getting beaten and stabbed and attacked yeah. by Muslims. and he came there, and he stood there, and he pulled out his gun, and he says that, you know, we're going to fight back, and so that yeah. wasn't something that was a, you know, a controversial, oh, no, what's going to happen? That was one of the reasons people voted for him, like he's yeah. the only one coming down here and like protecting the Jewish community if she wanted Saudi. So I for think a that's of, a
0: lot of the yeah. yeah, I think for a lot of Israelis that was reassuring and for a lot of people abroad, you know, it's just the wrong image of Israel, uh, you know, keep a wearing settler whatever with a waving a gun in the in the air. Let's let's move to our last two questions. They're sort of more big picture questions of about uh what's coming up and uh i mean how big a, i just mentioned that this perception of israel from abroad how big a gap is there right now between uh, this incoming government and the perception of it as radical radical right right wing and the reality on the ground here in israel right now
1: well you know again i'll have to use my crystal ball to to predict uh, but I think that a lot of it is is just a, a lot of media spin. I think that definitely once the government settles in and people see what's going on, I think you know what people don't, don't remember is that Benjamin Netanyahu has been the prime minister of Israel for the longest period of history in all of Israel's history. He's our largest serving prime minister. People know what they're going to get with Benjamin Netanyahu. That's, that's why a lot of people flock to him. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be You know, such a dramatic change. I don't think there's going to be huge differences. Uh, I think a lot of that's just speculation while they're trying to form their government. So I don't think that it's going to be such an earthquake around the world. I think a lot of this is just people trying to stir up, you know, media stories and information. We just went through some of them where, you know, there there are people saying they're going to shut off electricity on Shabbat in Israel. Mm -hmm. And that's ridiculous. That's never going to happen. So, You know, a lot of it is his bluster, but at the same time, you know, no one knows really what is going to happen and and how much Netanyahu is going to let the other parties in his government do things. I think, again, if you're conservative or right wing, uh, you're going to be very excited about this upcoming government. And if you're left or center left, you're going to be very nervous. It really depends on your political persuasion. I think it's very similar to the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. When the Trump administration came in, everyone said, oh, my gosh, Mike Pence, he's a Christian. What's going to (laughs) happen? And Mike Pompeo is a Christian. And, (laughs) you know, you got the you got the David Friedman in there, who's a religious Jew, as the ambassador. This is going to be bloodshed all over the world. And still today, if you talk to people on the conservative side, they say, wow, what a great You know, the policy was great under the Trump administration, but if you talk to the left, they say it was a disaster. It was the worst administration ever. So I think that what's going to happen is the same type of thing. It's going to be a very polarizing question. Depending on your political persuasion, you're going to have a very different answer about this government than than if you had a different political
0: persuasion. It's a good analogy. Okay, let's say that Netanyahu consolidates his power that these guys, uh, you know, line up behind him, don't give him much trouble. What is his agenda? What's he going to be able to accomplish uh, uh, as the prime minister again? Is he interested in expanding Abraham Accords? Is that his priority? Uh, Dealing with the Iranian nukes, a little of both. What's he going to do with the Palestinians? Any prognostications for what we can expect? Uh, What is his priority? Well, his
1: classic priorities have always been the same. The first one always is economy. It's getting the economy going again. He's going to try to make it so that inflation comes down, that uh, that Israel becomes, a, again, an economic superpower uh, in the region and around the world. He focuses a lot of his effort on economy. That's, that's some of the things that he believes personally. And I know this from, from personal conversations, even, that a strong economy in Israel is what is powerful about it. So that's what makes it a power. So I think that's the first thing. Secondly, is foreign policy. He, he's a he's incredible uh, at foreign policy because he's very charming. He's very well spoken. A lot of world leaders respect him. Um, and even though there's so many different uh, differences in opinion between the Biden administration and the Netanyahu administration uh, when it comes to Israel, he's still friends with Joe Biden. I mean, they're friends. They've been friends for for decades. Uh, and the same with a lot of the world leaders around the uh, world. So he's going to try to expand the the Abraham Accords. There's a lot of talk about Saudi Arabia joining it. There's a lot of talk about Malaysia and Indonesia being the next countries. That's going to be one of his big focuses. I think he's going to work on getting embassies back into Jerusalem, which kind of took a pause. Uh, but there are a lot of countries talking about it now. Czech Republic, Malawi, uh, Liberia, Kenya. And then the biggest existential threat is Iran. And so I think that we're going to see a lot more of Israel maneuvering, especially with the revolution going on with Iran, um, and trying to get the mullahs out and the atolls out and try to strengthen the, those guys who are fighting for their freedom on the ground. Uh, and I say guys, it actually should say women, because it's women who are running the revolution in Iran right now and, and children, uh, very brave, and, and no one's really supporting that. I think we're going to see a lot more support from Israel for that, uh, maybe behind the scenes, not, not publicly, as it would be unpopular. Uh, in Iran. But I think the, those are the main things he's going to be focused on. I don't think there's going to be much difference when it comes to the Palestinian Authority. I think even, even the last government, which is seen as center-left, um, you know, uh, interim Prime Minister uh, Yair Lapid called for a two-state solution. But then he said, there's no way we could do a two-state solution with uh, Mahmoud Abbas. He's just, you know, <laughs> he's just there blocking everything. So I don't see anything happening on that. The real big question, and I think the, the big question everyone's going to be looking for, is how is the U.S.-Israel relationship going to stay? Because they're our best friends. Everyone in Israel loves America. America loves Israel. Uh, we're both two countries founded on Judeo-Christian values. We have a lot in common. the People like each other. But this uh, current administration, the Biden administration, is very um, harsh when it comes to pro-Palestinian agenda, pro-Iran agenda, pro-UN agenda. And so the question is, what is going to be the conflict po- points with this administration? But I think in that respect, you're going to have that with any government that's going to be in Israel, and probably the in- incoming Prime Minister Benjamin, Benjamin Netanyahu is best qualified to deal with that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say the uh, it's been uh, it's been good to see the Biden administration, whether they wanted to or not. They've had to sort of uh, uh, pause their. Uh, Courting of Iran because of Iran's shipping weapons to Russia for use in Ukraine, and because of their crackdown on the protests, that that's not going to be such an issue right now with Netanyahu. Uh, but uh, the Palestinians, there had not been much push so far, and it's a lot of it, like you say, it's the uh, the the you know. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas isn't budging. He's too old. He's not going to make the compromise needed at this age. And you have to wait until he passes on for a new leader who's probably going to be even worse. So uh, who knows? But uh, um, you're about think, as
1: optimistic as I am for a peace yeah,
0: deal. Yeah, yeah, Okay, and and in a in a sense, if the Abraham Accords keep uh, expanding and growing, and the momentum it means the Palestinians are being left behind because these people, these are Arab countries making peace uh, with Israel, normalizing relations, uh, and basically saying, we don't want our whole future Uh, um, held in in, in veto, held in limbo by the Palestinians anymore. It's time to to move on and let them... Well, the the
1: Abraham Accords is is an absolute sea change in policy because what they always said was there will never be peace with even the moderate Arab countries Mm -hmm. as long as there's no peace with the Palestinians. And the Abraham Accords has spelled the myth that you need peace with the Palestinians in order to make peace with other Arab countries. So already, that's a huge change in perception, and and it's moving forward. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's now proven that it works.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, my one concern about the Abraham Accords is that, is that the uh, the State Department and the European Union are, are going to try and co-opt it and steer it back towards a uh, two-state solution. Let's hope they c- keep their hands off.
1: They're trying pretty hard. Uh, we've seen a lot of attempts of that uh, to try yeah. to undermine the Abraham Accords, but so far... You know, what's amazing about the Abraham Accords, if you look at the UAE, for example, the people love each other. I mean, there's so many people flying here from the UAE and the Israelis yes. fly there all the time. I have a friend going to the UAE every every week. And so it's just become not just a governmental cold peace agreement, but it's real peace people. between people to people. So it's very hard to undermine that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's survived several tests already dust-ups on the Temple Mount, rocket wars, everything—the uh, the death of the uh, Al Jazeera uh, reporter and all—and that seems to be, you know, it's still going. And it and it's good. I think Netanyahu is going to make some progress in that regard. Maybe not Malaysia. I understand they have a new rapidly anti-Semitic uh, leader in in Malaysia. I believe it is. And. Uh, but Indonesia is, is also ripe, ripening towards a normalization with Israel. OK, we want to thank uh, Josh Reinstein, the director of the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus, also of the uh, Global Israel uh, Allies Foundation, sister caucuses in 60 countries around the world. Josh is a key figure, and gatekeeper in Jewish-Christian relations, especially on the official level between government and government and uh, Christian leaders and the leaders of Israel. We really appreciate your time, Josh. Uh, Happy Hanukkah to you and your family, and thanks for being such a good friend in so many ways and for being with us today.
1: Well, thank you so much, David. You know, it's always a pleasure being with you. And the ICJ is a global partner of the Israelites Foundation. We wouldn't be where we are today without the ICJ. So I want to thank you for all your support throughout the years. And to all the viewers who are watching, have a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and next year in Jerusalem.
0: Amen. And God bless you. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And God bless y'all from Jerusalem. Thank you.